Hello. Hey, Etienne, how are you guys doing? Man, I love coming here to preach. Can I tell you? Y- y'all always get the raw version, too. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't mention this to Hillside, but I'm going to tell you. <laughs> oh, you guys got the raw version last Sunday when my husband was sharing. A little bit too raw for my taste. I was like, honey, seriously? You know, like, I wish, like, all wives could get these, like, like taser, you know, things where we can get the remote so if our husbands say something stupid, we can just, you know, like, taser them so they could... Not that he said anything stupid, but um, <laughs> disturbing might be. No, I mean, anyway, someone, uh, someone at Hillside listened to, I think you Caleb and Mina from Seaside were listening to the message last week, and they were like, I can't believe you said panties in your message. <laughs> and I was like, ugly flashback. I was like, oh, no, you said that? We should, y'all should pray for your pastor. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Kidding. All right, um, so I'm just coming from the Hillside campus, and I have a little bit of a mini report to share with you guys. Um, So Pastor Jin was supposed to preach, uh, but he was unable to preach. However, he did stop by, and, um, you know, he came in right when we were finishing the last song of worship. And it was so crazy because as we're walking in, we finally kind of came to our pastor's row, and we just, like, kind of stand there, and all of a sudden the lyrics is, Lord, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. Now, all of a sudden, I started. (laughs) I was bawling, but the timing of the song, you know? So already I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. Oh, no, oh, no. And everyone is just, it was so anointed. Susie Park led that portion of that song. It was powerful. And... So Pastor Jane comes in that song, and after worship, we, um, uh, PC and I, we go up to lead intercession, but we invite, we pray for Pastor Jane as a congregation, but nobody knows that he came. And, uh, and then we announce that he's in the house. And pa- if, for those of you guys that don't know, Pastor Jin is the new uh, lead pastor of our Korean mother church. Well, he's in the process, and um, it's still not finalized yet. But since he's been nominated or chosen to be that position, it's been nonstop opposition for him. And uh, he's been going through a really trying time uh, in his life. And so we really wanted to invite him to New Philly and show him a group where we support him. And celebrate him where other people might be saying, you know, you're not good enough or, you know, you're not the man for this position. We wanted him to kind of be overwhelmed with you're the man, you know, like you're the set one. God chose you. Um, you know, we honor you. We celebrate you and try to go in the opposite spirit of the attacks of the enemy. And so we invited him up. And the moment he he stood up, he got on the stage, just applause broke out and you could tell as he was just standing there, he just started to, you know, dang it. Anyway, obviously I started to as well. I got up there and I was like, <sighs> like he started to tear up and I was bawling. Okay. He was tearing. I was bawling. And, but people just started bursting out into tears because, you know, we've all been warring for him. Um, and so he comes up, he, we give him the mic to share a little bit and, Christian does a semi-introduction, and, you know, my husband's not particularly emotional. Um, But as he's introducing Pastor Jin, he starts crying. And he was, I made fun of him later. I was like, (laughs) you know, shut up. (laughs) But um, he was just like, we just wanted to invite you, Pastor Jin, because in midst of all the opposition that you're facing, we wanted you to know that we're standing with you. And um, he couldn't say standing with you because his voice cracked and he kind of choked up and which made every more people cry because, you know, we're not used to seeing PC cry. And so, you know, Pastor Jin just took the mic and he was, you know, tearing up and basically he, this is a message for everybody because all of you guys have been praying. And he had said, thank you, because you guys are like my angels. Um, and then he said, uh, thank you for praying for me, believing for me, for fasting 
for me because he knew about our active leaders who went on a fast. Uh, thank you for fasting with me um, and protecting me and covering me. Um, anyway, so it was powerful. We prayed for him, prophesied over him, and then we gave him the love offering that we collected. And I don't think he was expecting that. Um, actually he was kind of like, no, 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 no. Like he took off his glasses and he was like, no, no, no. We're like, yes, yes, yes. And you know, we were just saying, this is not a hillside thing. This is hillside, Itaewon, seaside, all three campuses. We've all been praying for you, contending for you. And we've all felt led to want to bless you and give this love offering. And so he was, he was powerfully touched. And so I, I wanted to give that report to you guys because although you physically may have not been there to see it, this is part of your story as well. And so Itaewon, thank you for your prayers. And I hope you know that it's, it's powerful. And the offering that you guys gave as well, it's powerful. And we believe that not only is it going to bring Pastor Jin to new levels, but his family, his wife, and his kids. And so he was so cute. He was like, the Holy Spirit is is moving in this place. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, I just, I just feel it. Wow. This is church. This is what church is supposed to be like. This is it. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was, it was awesome. It was so good to just have everybody cheer for him. It was so good. And so thank you guys for being a part of that. And, um, I, I wanted to make sure to just share that with you. And so, it was a really sweet time, and everybody was crying, and I was crying, and Christian cried, and <laughs> I love seeing him cry. It's awesome. Um, okay, so I'm going to continue on with my message. So I'm going to continue with our series on Deuteronomy, and we are still in chapter one. That's what I'm talking about. Um, but we are going to wrap up chapter one, y'all. We're going to move forward, okay? And we're going to finally uh, read through the final pericope of chapter one. And uh, if you guys were with me in this Deuteronomy series, we started off with break camp in advance. And we moved on to blessed to be overwhelmed, to the power of remembering when. And today I'm going to talk about the God of today. The God of today. And so I want you guys to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter one. And we're going to read through verses 34 to 46. Verses 34 to 46. And I want all of us to read it together. And so um, I'll start, but please join me. We'll read the whole passage together. Um, okay, 34 to 46. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore. Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and to his children, I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account and said, you also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones who you said would become a prey and your children who today had no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there and to, to them, I will give it and they shall possess it. For as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Then you answered me, we have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight just as the Lord, our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up or fight, for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you and you would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you, speezed you, and beat you down in Seir, as far as Hormah. And you returned and wept before the Lord, 
But the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. Wow. All right. So here in Deuteronomy, as I mentioned earlier, uh, this is uh, the second account that we're reading about this story. Uh, The next generation has already risen up. And they're on the brink of entering the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. What should have taken an 11-day journey took 40 years because of disobedience. And before they enter in, because Moses himself wasn't allowed to enter in the promised land because of his disobedience and lack of faith. And so this next generation, the young ones, at this time they were just babes. They were just children. The next generation, now they're adults. And Moses is retelling the story of their parents and the mistakes that they made in order for them not to act in the same foolishness, but also to reiterate the importance of staying in covenant. So before they were to enter in the promised land, Moses thought this is imperative. You must know the covenant that we have in God. It's absolutely important that you know it. And so he's kind of retelling this story in this Deuteronomy passage here. And so here's the reaccount. The original account is actually in Numbers chapter 14. And so we'll look at that as well. But the basic premise is the 10 spies, 12 spies went out already. In the previous uh, message, I talked about the 12 spies going out. 10 came back with a bad report. Two came with a good report. And the 10 with the bad report pretty much scared the crap out of the whole Israelite community. And they collectively decided it must be a bad idea. Uh, Obviously, God brought us out to the wilderness to be killed. Okay, so their trust, their lack of faith completely um, snuffed out, closed the door uh, for the opportunity for them to possess the promised land in the timing God wanted. Okay, in the timing God set apart and ordained. They shut that door with their lack of faith. And so what happens is now in this passage, this part of Deuteronomy chapter one, God speaks his judgment. Now, one truth that I want to preach to you guys today is God God gets angry. God gets angry. Now, I know most of the church these days, we like to talk about God's love and God's mercy and God's patience, which is true. But God gets angry. He's not a stoic God. He's not a God that only knows joy. He's a God that also understands sorrow. He's also a God that understands anger. And here in this situation, to put it plainly, he was pissed. Okay? Why was he pissed? Because the Israelites continued, continued to test God. Now, if you look in the Numbers 14 account, why don't you guys turn there? Because some people read into that and they're like, whoa, God, that's kind of harsh, man. How are you going to kill off a whole generation and let them wander around in the, in the wilderness and not let them enter in the promised land just because, you know, they made the mistake. Ten people told them that there was giants. That's understandable, right? Well, if you look at Numbers chapter 14, God makes it crystal clear why he's a patient God and why he, that the Israelites kindled him to anger. Um, verse, starting from verse 20, I'll read to 23. It says this, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of God, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have, and who have, and yet have, and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land I swore to give to their fathers and none of those who despise me shall see it. All right. First of all, this was a generation that saw God's power period. And you know, for the Christian that's seen God move supernaturally, we carry more of a responsibility to move in a greater level of faith. So for those of you, especially in this house, we've seen God do some tremendous things. Haven't we? When we talked about Remember When, we put that podcast up, and I loved Itaewon's uh, row of comments. People just started sharing testimonies. I remember my first Sunday. You know, I remember what this was like for me. I remember this and that, and just sharing the testimonies. This is a house that's not short of testimonies of God's supernatural grace and power. Amen? But in that same way, we now hold accountable. We are held accountable in order to keep that level of faith in what we're facing today. And so this is a generation that saw God supernaturally deliver them out of centuries of bondage to the Egyptians. 
And when we talk about deliverance, we're not talking about a conversation negotiation. We're talking about supernatural signs and wonders. Plagues that were sent against the Egyptians. The river turning into blood. I mean, locusts coming, swarming in, killing all of the uh, livestock. The first sons of the Egyptians dying. We're talking about crazy supernatural signs and wonders. Not only that, not only when they escaped, they ran into the Red Sea. And there they saw the Red Sea part before their eyes. What? This is a generation that not only walked the Red Sea, saw the enemy completely trampled by the waters after they walked out of it, right? But in the wilderness, God provided supernaturally manna when they were hungry from heaven. Water from a, walk, from a rock. I mean, signs and wonders, number one. And so God was like, come on, really? Don't we have a little bit of a relationship here where you know I'm stronger than this? Where you know that I'm more powerful than this? But not only that, if you read this, it's very specific. He says, you've put me to the test 10 times. So this is why I want to iterate. God gets angry, but he's a patient God. His decision to let a whole generation not enter in the promised land wasn't a rash decision. It wasn't done out of just, oh, I can't take it anymore. It was done because he has been tested by the Israelites 10 times. The word of God says 10 times. What were the 10 times where God was tested by the Israelites? I'm going to list them off to you just to show this pattern that they have. The first one started in Exodus chapter 14, where the Israelites put complete distrust and rebuked Moses at the Red Sea. This is when they faced the Red Sea. It was, you know what I mean? They didn't know what they were going to do. At that point in time, they didn't know that God was going to part it. All they know, they were just like, Moses, you're an idiot. You basically delivered us so that we can die here. And they murmured against the set man that God placed first. Second, they murmured against Moses again because they were thirsty. Third, they murmured against Moses and Aaron because they were hungry. Fourth, they dismissed God's command to not uh, take the manna overnight. So when God provided manna, it was just for the day. And what the Israelites were doing, he gave specific commands not to take more than just what they needed for that day. But they took more out of fear for tomorrow. And what happened? That manna became spoiled, right? And turned into nastiness. So keeping manna overnight. The fifth one, they dismissed God's command, gathering manna on the Sabbath. Sixth, they murmured against Moses when they were thirsty again. Seventh, the golden calf incident. Okay. Eight, they complained about their misfortunes again, and God sent fire from heaven. And that burned the outside of their camps. And right after God sent fire, number nine, they complained about wanting meat. You see the, the, the pattern here, right? Thirsty, hungry, thirsty, hungry, 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 thirsty, meat. Okay. (laughs) And the 10th testing the Lord was the refusal to go into the promised land because of the report of the 10 spies. So when we talk about God and his anger being kindled against the Israelites, it because it's because the Israelites continuously Time and time and time and time again, refused to believe the covenant that they were a part of. Refused to believe that God was a God that would provide. Refused to believe that God was the one that delivered them, not to destroy them, but to give them a hope and a future. Refused to believe that God would continue to be supernatural. They continued to test him. And the way that it manifested was complaining and murmuring against their leader. So here at this point, God is angry. Let's be clear about that. He's so angry that he decides everyone in this generation, specifically men over the years of 20 and up, none of you will step foot into the promised land. None of you, including Moses. Now, Moses couldn't step into the promised land because of the later account of disobedience with the rock and water and You know, God told him to speak to the rock, but Moses resorted to, you know, the old method of hitting the rock with his staff, something that God, you know, Moses should have known better as a leader. And because of that, Moses was unable to enter as well. That's really sobering, isn't it? 
God's patient, but don't test him. You know, I hear this from my college students in particular all the time. Oh, I know about God's love, but I'm just going to live my life a little bit. I'm going to do what I want right now, and then I'll turn back to the Lord. You know, let me just wait for, you know, five years of, you know, four years of college, five years of college. If they go that route, it usually takes them, you know, six or seven years to graduate, right? However long it takes me for to graduate, I'm just going to chill. I'm going to have my fun. But eventually, tomorrow, the next day, next month, five years later, I'm going to turn my heart back to the Lord. And God's heart is for us to repent and to turn to him today. Psalm 95, that's what it says. If you hear God's voice today, do not harden your hearts like the Israelites did. Whole generation couldn't enter the promised land. Another version says whole generation couldn't enter in God's rest. Isn't that interesting? God's rest. We talked about rest being a supernatural weapon, right? If you guys listen to Vicki Porterfield's message, she talked about rest being a supernatural weapon when it comes to warfare. Guess what, folks? The devil's trying to steal your rest. Did you know that? He's trying to engage you in arguments, in discouragement, in warfare, in anger, in bitterness, because he knows that when you're in rest, you're powerful. Everything that Jesus did on this earth was done in rest. He never ran. He walked. That's a man in peace. He was never rushed. He was never anxious. People died and he was still, you know, Lazarus is dead. It's been three days. Oh, you know, time never bound Jesus. He understood that if he was there, power was there. And the devil is interested in stealing your rest today. And so here the Israelites are complaining again and again and again. And God gave them chance after chance after chance to repent that day. Turn to me that day. But so on and so on. They continued to lose faith in God, grumble against him, complain against him. And the way that they did it was complaining on the set man. You know, if you complain about the set man, you're complaining about God. Now that's a sobering thought. You know, 26 of Numbers 14, Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron and said, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? But if you look at most of the accounts I shared, the 10 times God tested, uh, Israelites tested God, you know who they grumbled against? Moses. Yet God took it, what? Personally. He said, you're going to grumble about the man I set? You're grumbling about me. How long is this congregation going to grumble about me? Now, this is gangster. 28 says this, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead body shall fall in this wilderness. Isn't that funny? The Israelites, that's the one thing they complained about. You brought us to the wilderness to die. According to their faith, it was done. They were so convinced. They put all of their faith in that statement. It actually happened. God said, you want to say that in my presence? You want to say that? Then so be it. Your faith has granted you your request. Now all of you will die in the wilderness. That's sobering. So here God speaks his judgment through Moses. And as soon as he's done, the 10 spies that gave the bad report, you know what happens to them? They die by a plague. Boom. Now, can you imagine at this point, the Israelites... What they must have been feeling? Okay. Wait a second. We're going to die here. Those homeboys just died. They started freaking out. Okay. And their response, they had a choice to repent or to react. And you know what? I wonder about this account. Sometimes I ask the Lord, God, if the Israelites repented, would you have changed your mind? You know? If they turned back to you and they realized what they did and genuinely repented, would you have let them in? I don't know. That's just a thought. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. They reacted. If you guys turn, look at the numbers version of the account. Starting from verse 39 to 14, when Moses told all these words to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly and they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country saying, here we are. 
We will go up to the place that the Lord has promised for we have sinned. But Moses said, why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that you will not succeed? Do not go up for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you and you shall fall by the sword because you have turned back from following the Lord and the Lord will not be with you. Now watch this verse 44, but they presumed in the Deuteronomy account. They said they were presumptuous. They presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. And then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them even to Hormah. Basically, they went backwards. Now, what was Israelites' reaction? Did they repent? It looks like it, doesn't it? Lord, we have sinned. Oh, Lord, we have sinned. We get it. It's your will. We got to go into the promised land. So we're going to do that today. We're going to go. We're going to get everything ready. In fact, in the Deuteronomy account, it cracks me up because it says this in, um, what does it say? In Deuteronomy chapter 1, if you look at verse uh, 41, it says, Every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up to the hill country. This is the same group of people that said, What? We can't go there. There's giants. We die. Now, all of a sudden, they thought it would be easy. In fact, that word in Hebrew means they they took it lightly. They took it lightly. Oh, yeah. Now we'll go up to the hill country. When it was faith, oh, it was impossible. But now out of reaction, fear, and regret, they took it lightly. Hmm. So they go in and they pretend to repent. Some scholars say it was a superficial repentance, a hypocritical repentance. Why? Because they were repenting against God by disobeying him again. How does that work? God, forgive us. We will do what you say by doing what you said not to do. Specifically, Moses said, do not go up. Don't go up because if you do, you will get defeated. But rather than hearing the voice of the Lord, all of a sudden their regret and their mistake blocked them. And they went up. They got their butts whooped. And they learned their lesson. And unfortunately, like I said, that generation didn't step foot in the promised land. What were they thinking? You know, when I first read Deuteronomy, I was about in sixth grade. I got this little pamphlet thing of read the Bible in a year for my Korean church. And, um, you know, I tell you guys a lot about my testimony about how, you know, the devil had influenced my life. But interweaved in is really God's influence. And when I was in sixth grade, I had a hunger for the word. And what happened was every night I would read chapters and chapters and chapters of the Bible. And I would check off my little... You know, like Deuteronomy one, two, three, sucker, you know, like, and I, it just felt good. I, I don't know if you guys like to do this, but I just love like crossing that, you know, that feeling of did it. And uh, anyway, so, so I, I love that feeling. And so I just uh, would read the Bible and I'd read chapters and chapters. And I specifically remember reading numbers and Deuteronomy. They're about the same thing because it's just reiterating what happened in numbers and thinking to myself, what idiots. Like there, what? I don't get it. Like it boggled my mind how dumb and how stupid the Israelites were. It just was so frustrating to read. I was like, I don't get it. Moses said, don't go. You will die. Why would you go? Like, how does that make sense? Like, why would you, the Ark of the Covenant, none, every single holy war, if the Ark of the Covenant was brought with them, they always won. But here they decided, oh yeah, it's going to stay. That's not going to be a big deal. What? The Ark of the Covenant and Moses, their leader, they went out without the presence and without covering. And what made them think that they would be victorious? And yet they did. And it boggled my mind. I remember reading, like, I don't get it. Like, I was so confused at their stupidity. I was confused because, you know what I mean? Like, Judy, don't go down the steps because you're going to die. You know what I mean? Like, would Judy be like, oh, yeah, now I'm going to go down the steps. Or like, you know, like, why would you, if someone directly, you know what I'm saying? I was just so confused until I just realized, God, why? Why were they so dumb? And Psalm 95, it talks about how their hearts were hardened. In fact, their hearts were so hardened that they were unable to hear the voice of the Lord. Now catch this. I'm talking about the God of today, right? 
But the problem is we're too much into yesterday or tomorrow. And when you live life with your thought life in yesterday or tomorrow, you cannot discern the voice of the Lord for today. Even though Moses said it, they were unable. It was impossible for them to hear and heed the voice of the Lord because of their hardened hearts. You know what was going on? The Israelites were reacting in regret. They looked back and realized, crap, we missed it. We made a mistake. And what did they try to do? Overcompensate. I'm going to overcompensate this mistake by now obeying you early in the morning because it's going to be easy. And we're going to finally do what you said, but without the counsel, without tuning into what God was saying today. That was the Israelites' problem all along. All along was they didn't know how to walk in the presence of God today. That's why when it was time to not collect manna for tomorrow, it was just enough for today. They couldn't handle that. They were thinking about their future. No, we got to collect for tomorrow. Grumbling. Sabbath. Don't collect manna for the Sabbath. No, no, we have to do it. We have to collect it. Why? Because they were worried about their future. Or meat. We need meat. Why? Because they were thinking about the glory days of the past. They were constantly in the past or in the future, but they were never in the present. They missed it that God supernaturally provided manna for today. They missed it that God was supernaturally leading them by fire and by a pillar of smoke. They missed the God of today. And because of that, they could not discern the voice of the Lord. Now, what the devil wants to do for each and every single one of you is he wants to steal your today. You know, Pastor Benjamin, he preached this incredible message about the present presence of the present. The presence of the present. And he was talking about how we're not in tune with God's present for right now. And it's similar to what I'm sharing today with you guys. And so after I heard the message, I was like, dang, I was so convicted. And all week long, I was trying to be intentional. Let me focus back to the present. And you know what I realized? About 90% of my thoughts had nothing to do with the present. I was constantly thinking about either the things that went well in the past, the things that went wrong in the past, or the things I need to do in the future, or the things I want to do in the future. I was in here, or I was in here, and I kept missing here. When I became aware of, man, I can't let the devil steal my today, I realized how many todays he's stolen. And it just shook me. And you know what? We can say it like, oh, it's holy because I was thinking about, oh, the church plants of the future. Meanwhile, I wasn't looking at the student that's right next to me who looks discouraged. You know what I'm saying? We can think about holy things, but if you're not tuning into God right now, if you're not tuning into the fact that his presence is with you right now, you're going to miss the moonwalking bear. That's what that was about. Pastor Dave Gibbons talked about the moonwalking bear. You know what that's about? That's about walking with God in his presence. Vicki Porterfield talked about rest. You know what that's about? Walking with God in his presence. If you are in the revelation that God is not just with you in your past, you know, all of us can talk about that. Man, Lord done saved me. You know, my history, my sins, my past, my drugs, my promiscuity. Oh, God did a powerful work in my past. And some of us look, oh, but God, never will he leave me. Never will he forsake me. I know my future is with him. I know my future is going to be powerful. We can think about those two revelations, but if we don't understand that the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is inside of you today, that you have power today, that you're a new creation today, you're going to miss the power that God wants to release in you. He is the God of today. How many of your todays have been stolen by worries of the future or regrets of the past? The regrets of the Israelites cause them to be unable to hear the voice of Lord. What about your regrets? You know, I know for me, when I make certain mistakes, I, I have a tendency to kind of dwell on it. When I first started pastoring, I made so many mistakes where I said the wrong things to people. I hurt people or I thought I was doing the right thing and shepherding them this way. And I talked to my husband. He's like, that's completely the opposite of what I would have done. And, you know, like I just, so many times I've made mistakes and I would just sit and just dwell on it. Dang, I keep making mistakes, God. 
I keep trying to be a good pastor and I keep telling people the wrong thing, you know, I keep missing it. And, and I would spend like the, my day thinking about that. And what it did was it would paralyze me. And all of a sudden I'm not doing my shepherding for the day because I'm so regretful of what I did in the past. Regret is powerful, but regret's a demonic power. It's not a godly power. In fact, God talks about how not only he forgives our transgressions, but he forgets them. He wipes them out. So God's not standing in heaven thinking, oh, why'd you do that again and again and again? The moment you confessed, it was cleansed. The moment you confessed, it was wiped out. The only thing that he's curious is curious about is why are you still thinking about it? How many times do we punish ourselves for the regret of the past? Oh man, I haven't been in prayer for, you know, a week. I haven't prayed. And I told myself I would pray every day and I haven't prayed this whole week. And you spend a whole day, not only regretting it, but you feel like, Oh, I'm not worthy to pray today. You know what I'm saying? Think about how like strategically demonic that is. What did you, do you know the saving power of the cross? Do you know what Jesus Christ has done? Do you know who you are? If you did, you would not let the devil steal a moment of your time. Some scriptures say that the days are evil. Time slips away. But the days could be powerful if we're walking in the presence. You know, when Jesus was ministering on the earth, man, he knew this revelation about just walking in the continual presence of God. He knew it. Every time he ministered, it was from a place of rest. And that's why it was so powerful. There's a story in Mark where Jairus had a daughter who was about to die. And he ran to get Jesus and his disciples. And he said, listen, my daughter is about to die. I'm in desperate need for your help. And Jesus said, all right, I'm going to come with you. I'll go with you. And as they go, all of a sudden, they pass through this crowd. And Jesus stops. Can you imagine your daughter being on her deathbed? Time is of the essence. Every second counts. And Jesus stops. Jesus decides, let me get interrupted here. Not only does he get interrupted by a woman who had an issue of bleeding, but he allows himself to get interrupted. He feels her touch. And instead of saying, okay, well, that went well and walk forward, he stopped. He allowed the interruption to happen. He noticed, man, God, you're doing something right now. And I'm not going to miss it. I'm not going to miss it. Who just touched me? Jesus, you're surrounded by so many people. Everybody touched you. No power went out of me. Who just touched me? And a woman out of fear, shaking, trembling, came up to Jesus, said, it was me. And he looked at her and he took the time to stare at her face and say, daughter, your faith has healed you. He took the time. He allowed himself to be interrupted, to stop for a woman who's been suffering for 20 years. Look her in the eyes and say, daughter, your faith has healed you. This is a woman that has been outcasted for 20 years. If you have a blood issue, according to old law, Mosaic law, you had to be outside of the camp. You couldn't be near people because it would contaminate. It was unclean. And you know, pre-Jesus, if you touch something that's unclean, you become unclean. After Jesus, you touch something that's unclean, they become clean. You know what I'm saying? But here it was the Mosaic law and she was probably rejected. She was cast out and God allowed himself to be interrupted. Looked her in the face, daughter. Can you imagine the love in his eyes, the power in his eyes? Your faith has healed you. Now go be healed. Now they were having a moment, but let me tell you, Jairus was probably bugging out. Like what? Are you serious? My daughter is about to die. Like this woman's alive. She got healed. That's great. What we got to go. And still Jesus just, <laughs> you know, like I can't even imagine Jesus running. He just never need to run. He was never in that frantic mode. He was never anxious. He just walked over. And what happened? He went to Jairus's house and they found out the daughter died. She was dead. And you can imagine everybody in that room was filled with regret. <laughs> 
Why? Because if Jesus just didn't stop for that one woman, maybe, maybe he would have come in the nick of time and the daughter would have been saved. They were so consumed with the what if or the regret of what could have happened that they missed the fact that Jesus came. They missed it. Hello, Jesus, the son of man, the son of God just walked in the door. They missed it. In fact, when Jesus said, she's not dead, she's just sleeping, they laughed at him. They were unable to discern the voice of God. Why? Because they were so stuck on the regret. We need to step into the power of today. Guess what? Jesus is with you right now. And for some of you, that's a revelation you need because you're hopeful for tomorrow, but you don't get that you got it right now. You're hopeful for the person that you're going to be down the line. Oh yeah. One day I'm going to be strong in the Lord. One day I'm going to be faithful in my prayers. One day I'm going to be hungry for the word, but you don't know that day is today. That day is today. The devil is trying to steal the power. Guess what? If you're thinking about God in the past and God in the future, the devil's not scared. Go ahead and think about the past. Think about how great God was. Go ahead, think about the future, how, what God will do. That's great, but what are you thinking about now? As long as you don't think you're powerful now, no problem. But the moment you come into contact that the fact that the almighty God, the omnipotent, the omnipresent, the alpha, the omega, the creator of the heavens and the earth is with you right now. That his resurrection power is with you right now discerning the voice of the Lord will be easy. You know, what's interesting was PB said it like this resurrection is bringing someone who wasn't alive in the present into the present. So resurrection isn't just bringing someone that was dead alive. We need to walk in resurrection power every day to come into the present every day, to be alive in the present every day, to be walking with Christ in the present every day, because the devil may be trying to steal your time, but God is trying to redeem it. You got so much power inside of you. You are strong today. You are healed today. You don't need to see the manifestations of it yet. Know that right now, man, and you will be victorious. How much time have we spent in regret like the Israelites? How much time have we spent grumbling like the Israelites? When God has given us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to turn today. You know, turn with me to Hebrews chapter three. Um, Hebrews chapter four. Man, Hebrews chapter three and chapter four, you guys should just read it all on your own. Cause it's just that good talking about the Israelites and entering in the rest. And this is, you know, obviously talking about salvation, but it's also talking about holistic salvation. Sozo entering in the rest of God, the wholeness of God. But there's a passage if I could find it. Oh, here we go. Uh, chapter four, verse 11. It says this, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. They just talked about the Israelites. They just talked about the 40 years of wilderness. And God says, uh, Apostle Paul says this, let us therefore strive to enter that rest that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. That almost seems like opposite, right? Striving. How can you, that makes no sense. If you strive, you're not in rest. So how do you strive to enter in rest? Well, I had Marcus look up strive for me and strive actually in the Greek means to make haste. So you can say it like this. Don't waste time and enter in the rest. Don't waste another second 
but enter into his rest right now. The word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. That means all the frustration, all the discouragement, all the deception, the, the devil is trying to throw at you right now. The word of God can cut that all off and you can enter in his rest in this very moment. God is the God of not just your yesterday. He's not just the God of your tomorrow. He's the God of your today. You know, Christian was trying to get me to give an example of marriage <laughs> and relationships and how people get confused in relationships because they're, they're reacting out of past relationships that didn't go well. And all of a sudden from that place of regret and hurt, rather than being able to discern the clear voice of the Lord, they start moving in a place of rebellion, thinking that they're on track but it's more overcompensating because they're afraid. You know, there's so many personal examples I can give you where I got it wrong and I missed the power of today because I was so fixated on yesterday or tomorrow. And so many times I also got it wrong thinking one day I'll be powerful. One day I'll be strong. One day I'll have the discipline to read, you know, six chapters of the Bible and really look in the concordance and, you know what I mean? Like, look at the study notes and one day that'll be me, but it's, it's not going to be today. Today I'm just going to watch TV. But one day, one day. Oh, I have faith. Oh, trust me, I have faith that one day. You know what I'm saying? Today. Turn today. Make haste. Apostle Paul says, make haste, turn today, enter into God's rest today. God's rest means trusting in him. His presence means trusting in him, that he's Emmanuel, that he's with you. Enter it today. You know, there's one part in scripture where Jesus wasn't in rest. One part in scripture where he wasn't restful. Every other time, I mean, the storm would be brewing. The disciples would be fearing for their lives and Jesus would be sleeping. I mean, he was in rest. He wasn't phased. But there was one time where Jesus wasn't in rest. The one moment where his eternal relationship with God the Father, the presence that he was so familiar with, the presence that he was so in tune with that he didn't do anything the Father didn't do first. He didn't say anything the Father didn't say first. He was so in submission and so in oneness with God the Father. But this one moment, he was utterly separated. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he was hanging on the cross, God forfeited rest. Jesus forfeited rest so that you and I can enter in it, into it eternally. It doesn't matter what you're facing. You can enter rest today. Jesus paid that price. That was hell for him. You know, we think hell is fire, burning, beast. Yeah, okay, that could be part of it. You know, lakes of fire, it's in scripture. But you know what true hell is? Complete separation from God. That's hell. That's what Jesus faced, utter separation from the one he loved with his whole heart so that you and I can enter and rest, not on Sundays, not just on Friday fires, not just on Sunday swim, but every single day we could be walking in the presence and in the rest of God. I want you guys to just bow your heads with me. You know, there's a couple of you that think that God is late. You know, you had your own timing, kind of like Jairus. And you physically, in, in a sense, it's kind of like, it really looks like it was too late. I mean, his daughter was dead. But I feel like God is saying, wake up. I'm here right now. You may think it's too late, but I'm in this room 
right now. The moment Jesus stepped foot in Jairus' house, the whole household should have known, oh snap, it's miracle time. Some of you are so, your thought life, if you were to take and write down all the thoughts that you think, even in a day, like me, so many of your thoughts would be on the past or on the future. And so little would be on the present, on what God is doing right now, in your midst, today. And I feel like we've heard that word, man, rest is a weapon, rest is supernatural, but you feel like, I don't know how to do it. How do I enter in that rest? Repent. The key to enter into rest is repent. And what I mean by repent is turn from your unbelief. Change your mind. Change your mind that you're not good enough. Change your mind that you're not going to get that job. Change your mind that your family will never be restored. Change your mind that you're never going to get healed. Change your mind. Repent and change your mind in accordance to the word of God. And you will enter into a supernatural rest that's not based on circumstances. Psalm 95 verse 6 and on says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they have seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, there are people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. David, the psalmist is saying, today, if you hear your voice, don't harden your hearts like the Israelites did. They didn't enter in the rest, but you can. And I'm talking about an immediate obedience. Some of you have been saying, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll change that part about me tomorrow. I'll start next month. The thing that God spoke to me, yeah, I'll believe that tomorrow when I feel stronger. God is calling you today. He's calling you to believe for him today. We're going to take a moment. I'm just going to give you just a couple of, of minutes just to sit in silence. And this is something I feel like a lot of Christians don't know how to do. And I don't want you to pray a warfare prayer. I don't want you to, you know, shandala in tongues. I just want you to be still. And I want you to combat every thought that's going to try to bring up something in the past. And I want you to combat every thought that's going to try to lure you into the future. But I want you to be still and know that he is God. That's all I want you to think about right now. God, you're with me right now. Just a couple of minutes. Let that marinate. I'm telling you, he's going to begin to speak to you. So just close your eyes. <laughs> 